0: This is part three in my series. It's the final in the series, Navigating Through the Storm, part three. Now, for those that are new here, I used to do series that would go, you know, 10, 12 in a series, and, you know, I got a lot of pushback from the staff. They said, you got to cut your series down. It's way too long. People are not going to track that long in a series. And so uh, I've got this one down to three, and uh, that's where I'm trying to keep them, two, three in a series. So uh, this is my third and final in the series, Navigating Through the Storm. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. In this war against our onslaught of evil, how are we going to overcome it? What are our weapons? How do we employ them? Obviously, if we do not understand the fundamentals of spiritual warfare, we will only experience defeat and misery. In this teaching today, we will clarify what true and effective spiritual warfare is. And the better we get at this, the better our lives and world will ultimately be. So last week, we addressed the importance of unity and how to foster it, the nature of love, and some of those beginning uh, passages in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to jump back into Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 13. Let's talk spiritual warfare. Everyone's into spiritual warfare. Everyone wants to know, how do we do spiritual warfare? But I think that, uh, generally speaking, we tend to really kind of miss what that's all about. Because really, we take it out of its Jewish setting, its historical setting, its cultural backdrop. We, we take it you know out of its uh, antecedent theology that, that we find in the Tanakh. And so sometimes we kind of come up with a spiritual warfare that, in my opinion, is not very effective. And so what I want to do is just kind of uh, reach back a little bit, reorient reorient ourselves in relationship to these passages and their backdrops. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. So I want to talk about the armor of God. We're in a war. A war against evil. Started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. With the serpent and his lies. And how he seduced our parents and they got off track. And things have been bad ever since. God promised he'd send the Messiah. And the Messiah ultimately will crush the head of the serpent. But until that happens, we're in a big war. And the war is not only in the heavenlies, the war is right here on planet earth between the sons and daughters of God and the sons and daughters of the serpent. And so good and evil as we find it in the heavenlies finds its way down into this creation. And this war is both in the heavenlies and in the earth. And it's the same war in different dimensions. So the question is, is how do we interact? How do we fight? You know, what does that look like? Well, it's very interesting that what Paul lays out for us through the Spirit of Christ is that we are to engage it in the heavenlies. We're not to fight it, you know, horizontally, but rather vertically. As if Paul is saying that really the big battles in the heavenlies, if you can take care of that in the spiritual realm, the natural realm tends to settle down. So he tells us, focus on the heavenlies. Take up the full armor of God, that you'll be able to resist in the evil evil day. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. So the armor of God here is pictured by way of analogy, if you will, With the armor of a Roman soldier, Paul writing this from his prison cell in Ephesus, probably looking at that Roman soldier, begins to take his armor and reorient and use it by way of of metaphor in relating to our spiritual weapons. Every piece is critical in being protected And equipped to win the battle. The Romans were outrageous warriors. They were trained, they were, they were, what they had in terms of their armor was absolutely high tech in their day. And every piece of it was designed to protect that warrior and ensure his victory in hand to hand combat. The armor of God, if we understand it, will do the same thing. It will protect us against the onslaught of evil. It will empower us to resist evil. In fact, there's pieces of the armor that are to be used offensively, not defensively, so that we can not only resist but overcome evil and gain the victory, both in our life and in the world around us. So we need to put it on. We need to get in our fighting stance. We need to be alert, ready to fight with great courage and tenacity for the battle is the Lord's. Remember David and Goliath? I mean, he's just a little shepherd boy. He's just a skinny little kind of runt, you know? And he approaches one of the Nephilim, Goliath, the greatest warrior of the day. No one in all of Israel but their greatest and most fierce warriors would go down and fight with him. And here comes David. They try to put him in Saul's armor, man. He says, I can barely even walk. It's so heavy, you know. What is this? Get it off me. The Lord has already trained my fingers for battle. I have fought bears. I have fought lions. Just let me go. Let me use the things I'm familiar with as the Lord has given them to me. I'll go fight this giant. And he goes down there. He's so excited to fight him. He has so much courage. And he just goes down there. And that giant is just absolutely out, outraged with this little boy who they send to fight him. And he's like, who, who are you? What an insult, you punk kid, you know? What are you doing down here, you know? And he's like, What? How dare you taunt the, the armies of the living God? You uncircumcised, goy, you know. I'm going to take your head off, you know, or whatever. So that whole thing's going on. And then uh, David, uh, Goliath says, okay, you want some? Huh? So he jumps up, and David sees him and runs to him. I really believe the Lord wants us to understand who we are in him and the armor that we have. So that not only are we courageous, we're fierce in battle that we run to engage the enemy. We don't run from the enemy. We run to engage him, overcome him, and bring liberty and freedom to those realms of our lives and our families and our nation that God has intended for us. So, verse 14 says this, Stand stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you want to gird your loins with truth. You know, the, the, the battle array of the Roman soldier that he wore around his waist and thighs was designed to protect him against any, any sword that strikes against the leg or, or it comes to that, that, that midsection. It was designed to, designed to deflect that and protect that soldier. And Paul's saying you need to also Understand the design of God and how it's designed to protect you and your life and what that represents. Having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. These are basically Paul's um, use of the Roman soldier's apparatus to teach some very important truths when it comes to spiritual warfare. He's saying truth is important to this battle you got to have truth. you got to gird your loins with truth. What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we gird our loins with truth? We do that through the regular study of the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. Psalm 119, 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So studying and applying the word of God to our life is what it means to gird your loins with truth. Gotta spend time in the Word to discover what's real. Truth is what's real. In just in, in, in contradistinction to what is false. The next thing we need is the breastplate of righteousness. This is a war against good and evil. This is a war against right and wrong. Righteousness is a big part of how we overcome that which is wrong. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In short, we need a press plate of righteousness to protect the issues of our heart, the very core and essence of who we are. And that righteousness that we're supposed to put over our hearts comes through faith in Jesus. God says, I'll give you my righteousness like a shield over your heart. I'll give you my righteousness as a gift. If you confess your sins and embrace my son as Lord and Savior, I'll give you that breastplate of righteousness. And we're going to need that in our warfare. What kind of war do you think you're going to engage the battle or the enemy with if you're not even covered in terms of your your heart? Yeah, the first strike to your chest is going to be a death blow. God's saying, you need my righteousness in this battle. That comes through faith. In Jesus. Now, does that do away with the law? Of course not. Paul goes on to say in verse 31, do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Psalm 119, 172 says this, let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. So when you when you apply the truth in your life, Your righteousness that you have as a gift from God through faith in Jesus will be manifested in beauty and strength and wonder. So we receive the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus, and then we begin to walk it out, expressing it as we step into the commandments of God, as we take truth and apply it to our lives. Then that righteousness by faith is seen in our actions. How do we apply the truth of God and his word in our lives? It starts by loving God. Starts by embracing his son as your Lord and Savior. Starts by learning to forgive yourself and loving yourself. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. This is how we take the breastplate of righteousness and put it over our hearts. Think about this for a moment. If all the commandments of God are righteousness, then every time you embrace one of the commandments, that righteousness that you have manifests. It grows, right? What does that look like? Well, you start with the Big Ten. Start with the Big Ten, the Big Ten Commandments. Ask God to show you how you can line up more in your life with those Big Ten. Then move from that to developing a strong work ethic, right? Right? Tithing as you trust God for your provision. Investing. Why? God has a lot to say about financial principles. Money matters. Being holy in your diet. God's given us dietary laws. We have a way of eating that's designed not only for holiness, but also for health and vitality. That's important. Why? Health matters. What about gender clarity? You think that's important nowadays? Absolutely. Why? Biological genders matter. What about sexual purity? Leviticus 18, Romans chapter 1. These are important matters. Why? Sexuality matters. All of this, as we step into it and begin to walk in it, becomes like this huge, impenetrable breastplate of righteousness. When we do this, we're doing spiritual warfare. This is what spiritual warfare is. It's not hooky, spooky, hoodoo, voodoo stuff. It's walking by faith and love in the commandments of God. This is how we overcome evil in our lives. This is how we make a difference in the lives of others as we help them do the same thing. Ephesians 6, verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Yeah. So we need to like, you know, our our, our, our footgear is supposed to be what? The gospel of peace. That's actually a quote from Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah the prophet in chapter 52 and verse 7. And Isaiah, of course, is referring to the salvation of God which will be actualized in the Messiah when the Messiah comes. That the Messiah himself will die and make an atonement for our sins. That's Isaiah 53. This is actually good news because like Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own ways. Condemned, shamed, alienated from God. But the one that we thought was sinful and was struck, is the very one that provides an atonement because his life was pure and holy. And he died in order for his life to be the atonement for our sins. That's the good news that Isaiah was talking about. It's the good news of the peace of God. You and I, in our sin and shame, we're called the enemies of God. The enemies of God. This is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is simply this, that Jesus came to us who are the enemies of God in our sin, alienated, and now the enemies of God. Jesus came to woo us back. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is God saying, the war's over. I've made an atonement. In my son, you can be forgiven. Reconciled to me. Instead of enemies, you can become my friends. We'll be together like I've always intended it. So when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, that's spiritual warfare. I'll talk about that in a moment. But part of what we're called to do is understand the gospel and be prepared to share it with others very very simple the good news is for god so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life people all around you at given points are going to be open to the good news you got to learn how to share the good news you know you can share the sabbath you can share the torah you can share the dietary laws financial financial principles that's not going to save anyone not going to save. They're they're good, they're important, they have a place. But you also got to be ready to share the good news so that people can get saved, born again, reconciled with the Father. So we do that. It's, It's so simple. You're a sinner, you're alienated, enemy of God. God loves you. He sent his son so that you can be forgiven and no longer alienated. It's so basic. It's so easy. And then you throw in your own personal story. You then just follow up with how that happened with you. How you came to bow your knees to Jesus to be forgiven and saved. And your story will move their hearts. And then you just ask them, close the deal. I'll tell you what. In sales where we blow it all the time, is we don't know how to close the deal. We can talk a good game, but we can't get them to sign on the dotted line, right? Yeah, same with the gospel, Share the gospel and then close the deal. Learn to close the deal. Learn to ask the question, do you want to receive Jesus Christ in your heart as Lord and Savior so you can be forgiven and at peace with God? Ask them, if they say, no, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to be a used car salesman and make it happen whether they want it or not. But you got to learn to ask the question so that if they're ready, you can close the deal. That's what we're called to do. That's spiritual warfare. When you lead people to Christ, that's significant spiritual warfare. A transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light we will win this war against the evil one through attrition. We're plundering the camp of hell with the gospel of Jesus and people are being freed. And the kingdom's growing, growing, growing. The kingdom of Christ growing, growing, growing. The kingdom of the evil one shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Spiritual warfare. In addition to all, verse 16, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So you got your feet gear, you got your loins, you got your breastplate, right? Now you got this shield, you know? You got this big honking shield where it can it can absorb all of the arrows of the evil one, right? It's like having that, they got that new uh, hoodie out, you know, and uh, it's like $350, you zip it up, it looks like kind of a sweater, but it can stop 44 magnum bullets. I mean, it... it it, it you know, you can't you, you can barely penetrate it with a knife. you know it's just like, yeah, give me one of those sweaters, right? So so this shield of faith is designed to stop the very death uh, arrows of the enemy. How does that work? How does faith become a shield? Right? Faith in what? Faith in what God has said, faith in his word, his word is truth. Faith in that which is true is going to stop all of the lies that are designed to seduce you and lead you into darkness. That's how faith works. That's how faith becomes an incredible part of our arsenal in spiritual warfare. Psalm 126 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. The word of God is tested. The word of God is proven. It's effective. It can move mountains. By the time it came to us, it had been refined and purified and tested over and over and over so that when we put our trust in that which is real and true, we find liberty and freedom stability. Faith in the word of God. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says this, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The word of God is true. And as we put our trust in his words, it's a shield to us. It protects us. How does the enemy work? The enemy works through lies and deception. When we buy into the lie, we are weakened and moved towards evil. The only way to stop the lie is the truth. And as you and I spend time in the Word of God, we then find liberty, and we then are protected from falling into the dark schemes of the evil one. No one just signs up. You know, who who signs up and says, yeah, I want to destroy my health and get depressed and and then shoot myself. No one just wakes up and says, I'm going to do that today. No, they start by being seduced and led astray, And bowing to sin in their life and going deeper and deeper and deeper till finally they've ruined their life and their health. And they're so miserable, they think their only way out is to shoot themselves. It was a slow, rolled out plan of the enemy that took years to get there. How do you stop that? Spending time in the word, confessing the word, believing the word. It creates a bulwark so that you're never seduced and end up there in the first place. But if you don't know that and you're not spending time in the word, you're at risk. You're at risk. You and I are no match for the evil one. Oh, he's been around a long, long time. We are no match. We need the word. We have to spend time in the word daily. We've got to confess it, believe it, proclaim it, live it, walk it. And then we get free from the schemes of the enemy. Our job is to listen to God as he speaks to us through his word. The primary way that God will speak to your heart is through his word. If you sit there in a room and just say, oh, God, speak to me. You know, you wait, you wait, you wait. You wait a long time. Most of us are not fine-tuned enough to hear his voice. And he has chosen already to speak to us through what he has already said. You want to hear the voice of God? Spend some time in the word every day. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Ready for this? Bread is a figure of speech too. It's not just physical sustenance. It's the bread that comes down from heaven, what, what uh, Elder Andy was sharing. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven, the revelation of God. Give us this day heavenly revelation. Give us this day clarity to see the world as it really is. To spot the scheme of the enemy. To know the secret of overcoming. Give us this day our daily bread. You spend time in the Word every day and say, Holy Spirit, come, open my eyes, illuminate my mind, and then you begin to read, guess what will happen? God will speak to you through that text. Man, He'll just whisper in your ear. He'll drop it in your heart. The Word word of God will just highlight in a particular area that just means something that you never saw before. That's the voice of God. That's how he speaks, primarily through his word. We have to spend time in the word. Listen to God as he speaks to us through his word and then put our trust in what he is saying. I'm going to share this. I did not ask my wife for permission. I know it's always a no-no. It's always a no-no. But this, this was a long time ago. This is like 35 years ago, okay? But... Um, we were young and married, and, and uh, you, know, I, you know, I had really messed up our marriage for years and uh, just really kind of, like, got it into a bad place, and finally it blew. And so I was alienated from Don, living with my parents, her side of the family's trying to get her, t- you know, to divorce me once and for all, and so it's a bad place, you know? It's just a really, really bad place. And I finally got to the place where God opened my eyes and began to show me what I'd done to so screw everything up and, uh, and, and really get my heart right towards him because I was, I was messed up with him primarily is what that was rooted in. And, and so I, I, I got that right. And, and so um, we began to kind of um, try to work things out and, and get back into counseling and so forth. But uh, during that time in which it was all messed up, Um, Donna told me, she says, you know, Mark, I I don't love you. I don't love you. You know, you need to, you need to come to terms with that. You know, this, this is over, you know, that, 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 that dog don't hunt, that bird don't fly, whatever, you know. And, and so I'd go back to my counselor and uh, who, uh, my initial counselor was my pastor. And then we had other counselors, professional counselors, but, um, so, so I went back and I said, yeah, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't love me. And so, uh, my pastor says, Mark, look, she, she loves you. Look, she loves you. She just doesn't know it because you've done enough. You've done enough to create, a, to create so much anger and hurt that it's, it's, it's like smothered all that. She can't even see it. She doesn't feel it because she's feeling all this other stuff. But if you'll work on being a good husband and just take baby steps and trying to repair this and be kind and, you know, guess what? That love will come back. I was all, all excited. I went back and I told her that. I said, oh, you love me. You know, I just messed it all up. It's okay, it's down there somewhere below all the pain I caused. You know, let, let, me, pull, let me pull the knife out. It's right there, you know? So uh, so I'm thinking, you know, I, you know which I, you should never do in Counseling, you don't go back to your spouse and tell them what the counselor said. That's just a big mistake always, you know? So I tried to do that and of course, you know, uh, she, she said, Mark, I don't think you understand and she says, and I want to let you off easy, and I don't want to hurt you, but I never loved you. She says, it's not that it's somewhere below all this. She goes, I have to tell you, I never loved you. I said, well, why'd you marry me? She says, I was so young and so naive, and, and, and you know, as we got closer to the marriage, I thought, I really don't want to marry this guy. I really don't love him, but how do I get out of it? And Maybe it'll work out, and so I married you, but I never really loved you. Oh, my gosh. I was, you know, I, now I'm the one walking around with a big sword through me, you know. And Man, I go back to my counselor, you know. I said, oh, man, she never loved me. So even if I do all the right things, it doesn't matter because it was never there to begin with, you know. So I'm like really messed up. Now listen to me, listen to me. It's important to understand that it's the word of God that's going to see you through whatever it is you're facing. Because whatever it is, is too complicated for you to sort out. Even you with 10 other counselors, you may not sort it out. But with God, if you can get his perspective and what he's saying, you can sort it out. So I had to take that to the Lord. I had to say, Lord, is that true? Because you know whether it's true. If there's anyone that knows if that's true, it's you. Not that she's lying to me. She might be telling me the truth. But maybe she is deceived too. So you got to help me, Father. You know, what's what's this all about? Did Did she never love me? And in that prayer time with God and just, you know, crying and weeping. And, you know, this went on for quite some time, you know, days and weeks. You know, I just sensed God was saying, you know what? It's not true. She did love you. She did love you. What she's saying is not true. Then I had a choice to make. Do I believe Dawn or do I believe God? That was a no-brainer because I loved her. I said, God, I'm going to choose to believe what you're saying to me. I'm going to choose to believe that she did love me, and I'm going to stay the course instead of giving her a divorce, I'm going to stay the course, I'm going to fight for this marriage because I love her and just maybe, just maybe, her heart will turn back to me. Now, we were going to go to a John Wimber conference that was here in Denver, Colorado and uh, we bought tickets like eight months in advance because they always sell out and so uh, we're in the middle of our big crisis. This had been going on and uh There's no way we're going because we're alienated from each other. So I told my friend, I said, hey, I got an extra ticket. You want to go with me? He said, sure, we'll go. So I went. I went to this Wimber conference. And it was huge. It was about 2,000 people. And we were sitting off to the left side of the stage. There was like a number of sections. And we're in this little slice on the left of John Wimber. And so he's doing this conference. And he says, hey, I'm getting this vision from the Lord. I hardly ever get this vision. But when I get it, man, it's good. Something good's going to happen today. This is a good thing. And he says, so what I, I want to do is I want to give you this vision and then I'm going to open it up for those that the Lord is, is um, ha, that he has this for. He says, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing this huge mountainous area and it's burnt. A raging, raging forest fire has swept through and it has burned everything to the floor and everything is smoldering and there's nothing there and it's hazy and it's it's dark because, you know, it's just that the, the smoke is so thick and, and, and there's still embers in the ground. And he says, and then the next thing the Lord showed me was out of the ashes comes all this new growth. And this new growth is like stronger and healthier than the forest was before the fire. In fact, it's the ashes that's, that's nourishing the new growth. And now the forest is going to be stronger for, than, than ever. He says, now, this is about ministry. Ministries that you think are over. that have been burnt down for one reason or another. And the Lord wants to tell you today that it's not over. It's going to be better than ever. So if you're here and you have a full-time call in ministry... And, and things are not going like you think they ought to go. I want you to come up. He says, you are couples. This is, this is for couples. He says, so I'm speaking to couples. You come up. Come up here right now. So different couples were jumping up. They're all going to the front. I'm sitting there with my friend, you know, my, my, my friend that came with me, you know, Greg. I'm, I'm sitting there with Greg, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I don't think I can grab him and go up. They're going to bust me on that one, you know. It was back in the day when you didn't do those things. So much has changed, right? So anyway, I'm back there lamenting, thinking, man, this was for me and Dawn. How'd this thing get so screwed up? How'd we get so off the rails? You know, this is our call. This is and now, and now, you know, not only is this not gonna happen, my marriage is over too. Forget the ministry. My marriage is over. So, people came up, be standing up there, and he says, All right, all right. You know, he said, I'm still waiting, still waiting. There's another couple areas, he I'm still waiting. Someone else, someone else. So, I'm thinking, Who is it? Who is it? I'm looking around, everyone's looking, you know. And he says, If you don't come up here, I'll just ask the Lord who you are, and then I'll come get you. I thought, Man, this is good. This is why I go to Wimber stuff. I love Wimber, you know, he's always doing stuff like this. So, we're, we're just waiting, looking, you know. So, he prays, Lord, show me who this is, show me who this is. He says, The Lord showed me, he's over here. He's in this section over here, on this side, over here. And he points down at our section. We had about 45 people in our little little section there, you know. I'm thinking, man, it's right in our section. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, oh man, they're right here. Who is it, you know? So excited. And then John Wimber says, you're in this section. Your spouse is not here because your marriage is almost over. And not only do you think you've lost your ministry, you think your marriage is over. And the Lord's saying to you, not only will I restore your marriage, I'm going to restore your ministry. Get up here now. I mean, he, he couldn't even finish his message, you know. I had the snot thing going already. Man, I was crying hard. I, I just went running up there, you know, did that thing. I'm getting next to people. They're kind of backing off, you know. Well, I was right up there with him. I said, yes, you know. So uh, that was the beginning of God making good on, son, it's not over. And you need to believe me and continue on the course. Because I'm going to do something here that's so significant. And then he said this. He said, he said now, what the Lord wants to do in your, in your ministries is, is enough that you won't believe him. It's more than what you're going to believe him for so instead of him revealing what he's gonna do in your ministry, he's gonna do something in the natural first. And when he does that, your faith will rise, and then your faith will be sufficient enough to grab hold of what he wants to do in your ministry. And and oh, I, I forget to put this in. He says, Your couples and your barren. So these are couples that are called to ministry and your barren. So that was the other thing. Sorry, I left that out. So uh, he says, you haven't had, had kids for years. So, I don't know if you knew it, uh, Don and I were not supposed to have kids. Jessica was our miracle child. And, and so, we, it was the miracle of God that we, that we had her. And we even called it our miracle child. And, and so, now we haven't had, had a child for seven, eight years. And we're thinking, well, that was only one. That was our miracle. We're not going to have another child. So, but that was one of the reasons I went up too. And so, uh, he says, so, this is what God's going to do. God's going to give you a child. And when he does, your faith then will rise up. You'll, you'll begin to say God can do anything, because we've been barren for years. And now we can trust him for what he wants to do in ministry. So I, I went I went home. I went home. I, I made the same mistake. I was making the mistake, same mistake over and over and over. Man, I, I went over and... Uh, I think at that time, I was already back with Don. It had been about two weeks. I'm sleeping on the couch because I keep doing these stupid things. So I got the couch bed. So um, I came home, and she was in the bedroom. And uh, so I went to the bedroom, and so I, I told her, I said, Don, I went to the Wimber Conference. I said, you wouldn't believe it. She's like, yeah, right. I said, no, 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 it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, right, you know. The couch is waiting for you, you know. I said, well, just let me tell you. Just just let me tell you what he said. He pointed us out. He says, I told her the story, you know, and and I said, and and I ran up because I knew that was us, you know. And and he said, he said, the way that he's going to make good on this is he's going to give us a baby first so that our faith will rise, so we can do what he's called us to do in ministry. She's looking at me, she's looking at me. She, she like stopped everything. She like looks at me like, a baby? Like, like you're on the couch and you're talking baby? You're gonna be out with your parents again. Yeah, if I have a baby in the future, it's not gonna be with you. Yeah, I was, I was so mad I thought time to prophesy. So I looked at her, I said, listen to me woman. I said, neither you nor Satan himself. And let me tell you something. You never put your wife in the same sentence with Satan. But I told her, neither you nor Satan himself is going to keep us from having our baby and moving into our ministry. And then I went to my couch. Okay, so in 1 Timothy, Paul says this This I command and entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Faith is a fight. We're to fight the good fight of faith. What that means is we've got to learn to stand on the word of God and what he's saying concerning our circumstances. And against all of our challenges, against all of our giants, we stand our ground. And we say, thus says the Lord. And that's where we stand. And we don't move. We don't compromise. We stay the course. We engage the enemy. We put our faith in the word. Regardless of what the enemy's saying or doing, we focus on the word and we take God by faith and we stand our ground. That's how we overcome the enemy. Don't saying, I never loved you. I'm saying, I don't care, I'm standing my ground. This marriage will never work. I don't care, I'm standing my ground. I didn't have no babies with you. I'm standing my ground, you know? Why? Because God spoke that to me, and I waged my warfare according to the things he spoke to me, and he worked it all out. She fell in love with me again, and I'm so glad, so glad. We've got to fight the good fight of faith, and this armor relates to how we fight that and the shield of faith. Is learning to hear from God, spend time in His Word, hear from Him, and then stand our ground based on what He's saying. What are you facing? What's your giant's? Alcohol? Drug abuse? Anger? Anxiety? Fear? Bitterness? Depression? What is it? You need to hear from God concerning that. And you need to learn to stand your ground and begin to do your warfare so that you can overcome those giants. Because in the end, the war is about our soul. The enemy wants to take us captive. God's plan is to liberate us, bring us into a place of victory and freedom. So we got to learn how to do that. All right, I am so sorry. I want to apologize to you. I'm going to have to do a fourth in the series because I'm just not done and the stories are too good, right? So I'll pick this up next week and we'll talk more about that. We'll, we'll pick this up and we'll run with it. But today, I want to tell you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what giant has you down, you're going to get free. You hang in there. You hang with us. We're going to pray, seek God's face, learn to put on our our armor, learn to do our warfare, and we're going to get free and healthy and strong. Thus says the Lord. So be not discouraged. Lift your hearts towards heaven. The one who made you in his image is more than able to give you what you need to find your freedom. And we will find it. Amen? Shabbat shalom.